so as we come to God's word now, I, join, I ask you to join me in standing as we read God's word together. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you'll look in your worship guide uh, and, and repeat after me here. Friends, what do we know about God's word? Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, may you guide us into all truth this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to see and behold the truth of Jesus, the truth of your kingdom. And may all glory be given to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So what is the good life? Maybe you've asked that question yourself this week or throughout your life. Maybe you have a friend that's asking that question. What does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to flourish? You know, I work with international students. So I meet people from cultures from all over the world. And, and so they're coming from very different backgrounds, very different places, very different beliefs. And I often ask myself, what is tying these people together? One thing is SMU. <laughs> they're all here to study at this university. But that's a very thin thing that ties them together. That's not a real connection. I just wonder what, what really brings these people together? What binds them together in their humanity? You know, what binds together the student from South Asia uh, who's a Buddhist, who's doing his PhD, and his family is living in poverty, and he has to send back money every month to his family? What, what's tying him to the student I, I just met from East Asia? She's doing her PhD, and I invited her to our large group, and she said, oh, I'm not a Christian. And I said, oh, that's great. Most of the people who come aren't Christians. You'll fit right in. Uh, she said, no, I'm, I'm not religious, and I don't want to be. <laughs> What's tying them together? What's tying together um, the volunteer we have who grew up as a Presbyterian and then he got to college and decided that the good life was in another place? All right? It was in his fraternity. Uh, and what's tying him together with the, the girl from the Middle East uh, who we're talking to who has just become a Christian, but she knows if she gets baptized, she can never see her family again? What is tying all of these people together? I think it's this one thing. They're all looking for the good life. 
They're all seeking for what does it mean to live a flourishing life and where can that be found? Well, friends, that's exactly what the Beatitudes are all about. What what does the good life look like? And this is what this passage teaches us. The, The good life is ultimately all about putting your hope and trust in God's kingdom rather than the kingdoms of this world. Putting your hope and trust in God's kingdom That is what the good life is all about. So we're going to look at this passage in a few ways. We'll look first at what does flourishing look like? What does real blessedness look like? And then we'll we'll ask ourselves, why don't we experience that kind of flourishing? And then lastly, we'll see how can we flourish? How do we get that kind of flourishing? Uh, And I'll say from the outset, this word flourishing, I got, I was very influenced by a book I read called The Sermon on the Mount and, and Human Flourishing by a, a New Testament professor named Jonathan Pennington, a wonderful book. But he points out uh, that Jesus is really taking up these two great traditions of this Greco-Roman uh, wisdom philosophy and this Jewish uh, philosophy of wisdom and showing how actually Jesus fulfills them both more than they ever expected. Because uh, they're both looking for flourishing, but Jesus is the only one who can really give us that. So you could do a whole sermon on every single one of these Beatitudes. You could, uh, and I don't have time to do that. (laughs) I have time to give you a quick overview, but I want to give you some big themes. What are themes within these Beatitudes? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us? So we'll kind of do a quick flyby of these different, uh, different flourishing ideas really quickly. So first we have, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, and what I want to focus on in each of these is not the first part, but the second part. The grounding, the for or because this. Because this is really what we're all looking for, is what I would argue. No matter where you're coming from in here today, you're looking for the second part of these things. So the kingdom of heaven, what is that? Well, it's perfect bliss and harmony. It's the place where all the wrongs are made right, where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, perfect unity with God and your neighbor, no more wondering if bad things will happen to you. You'll know exactly who you are because you'll be completely known by your creator and you'll know him perfectly. It's a world of perfect love and peace. That is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may be here in this, this morning and thinking, well, I'm not interested in the kingdom of heaven. I have no interest in that. Um, I have not been to church in a long time, and I'm just coming back to check, check things out. Well, here's my argument to you. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis famously argued that if we find a desire in ourself, that desire actually correlates to something that will satisfy it. You're hungry because food exists, right? You're thirsty because water exists, Well, I would argue that you have a desire in yourself for the kingdom of heaven and that maybe you're looking for that in places that will never fulfill it. That's my argument. I would love for you to consider it, that actually you are looking for the kingdom of heaven. And who does that belong to, Jesus says? The poor in spirit. What an interesting phrase. The poor in spirit are those who recognize they have a poverty within themselves that they don't bring resources to the table to bring to God. If you're poor in spirit, it means that you, uh, you know that you have nothing 
within you that can earn your righteousness before God, that everything you have is actually a gift from God, not something you've earned because of your riches. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. When we move on, there's mourning here. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think we're all looking for comfort. We're all looking for a perfect friend who's supportive and understanding. We're all looking and, and for this situation where we know even in our worst moments, there's people there who will love me and care for me, even when everything has gone bad. That you have someone's full and undivided attention and care. That you know that everything is going to be more than just okay. That's what comfort is, real comfort. And that's the promise here. But who is that promise given to? Those who mourn. I'd, I can't think of a single place in our culture, in our world, that's telling us, be happy, be, be thrilled, because you are mourning. What a strange message. But it's a message that makes sense in light of the kingdom of God. That mourning is actually a way of life for those who embrace the kingdom of God through faith. Because we know things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so you can embrace grief. Your heart should be broken because things are not the way they should be. You can embrace that sadness and the promise is that you'll be comforted. And then we have the meek who are blessed because they will inherit the earth. Who doesn't want to inherit the earth? <laughs> right? This great promise that the whole world will belong to you. Now, this one, I think, is actually pretty easy for us to connect to because I think everything in, in our world, in our culture, it's all about inheriting the world, taking charge of the world. You know, I work at, uh, on campus at SMU. SMU's motto is world changers shaped here, right? No pressure. <laughs> Come get your degree here and then change the world. The world belongs to you. But what an incredible weight that no one can live up to because no one can earn the world. But so many people, we're trying to own the world ourselves, whether it be through our influence, our wealth, our power. We all want to own the world. But Jesus, he interestingly says, it's because you'll inherit the earth. What is an inheritance? It's a gift that you didn't earn. You can't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is someone, something that someone else decides for you. It actually doesn't rightfully belong to you. It has to be given. And so getting the world, gaining the world, is actually an inheritance from God. And it belongs to the meek. You know, that's a word that if you grew up in the church, maybe you heard, you've heard a lot. I had never really thought about what that means. But, you know, someone who is meek is someone gentle, humble in spirit. It's opposite of how the world tells you you'll gain the world. How do you gain the world? It's by being powerful. It's by being on top. It's by having all the influence. That's how you gain the world. Jesus is saying, actually, the world and the end will belong to the meek, those who the world often looks past. Now we have those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, and they'll be satisfied. We're all looking for satisfaction a sense of completion and fulfillment, like a cold drink of water on a hot day, like this summer. 
A warm meal after a long day where you haven't eaten. To experience that kind of satisfaction. Where your deepest longings are met. And and you don't have anxiety and worry anymore because you're completely satisfied and content. It reminds me of, you know, in Jesus, he tells these parables like the treasure in the field. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field And then he goes and he sells everything he has so that he can have that field and what's in that treasure. What must be in that treasure if you would give up everything for it? It must be satisfaction. It must be something that can never be taken from you. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Um, And I think it's so interesting here that Jesus uses the word hunger. He doesn't even say, blessed are the righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. And I I would argue that we're all hungry. Once again, no matter where you're coming from in here, you're hungry. Um, You know, I'm a fan of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I think he's one of the great songwriters of the 20th century. And one of his first hits was called Hungry Heart. And he tells a story about a man who by all appearances, has a wonderful life. He's happily married, he has a family, but he gives that all up to pursue another woman. But then that relationship falls apart. And in the song, you find him, he's at the same bar that he was before, lonely. And the the chorus is, everybody has a hungry heart. Even you'll give up good things because you have a hungry heart. So what are you hungry for? Jesus says hunger is good, but it's all about what you hunger for. And he's leading us to hunger for things that will last. All right, just a couple more here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who doesn't want mercy? You know, especially in our day and age, mercy is hard to come by. It's really, we rightfully have a strong sense of justice and wanting to see things made right. Mercy is actually not very celebrated in our culture often. But mercy is something actually we all want. That we know we've done things wrong and we need mercy. We don't want to live in a merciless world. You know, I think here of um, uh, the great story Les Mis, Les Miserables, and the story of Jean Valjean is the main character who's this ex-convict, a man who's done terrible things, uh, but he's, he escapes from prison, and he, he takes shelter in the home of a bishop. And he steals silver from this bishop so that he could sell it and make money. But he's caught by the police, and they bring him back to the bishop. And the bishop, uh, they, they say to them, it's an amazing moment, they say, did this man, are these your silverware? Are these belong to you? And he says, yes, they do. But he said he forgot to take the candlesticks. Don't forget these, right? Not convicting the man, but the mercy he shows him in that moment, allowing him to go free. The mercy he he shows him, and then he says this. He says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And that one experience of mercy changes his whole trajectory. 
because mercy changes your life. We all want mercy. And the promise here is that to the merciful, they will receive mercy. You know, Jesus says, those who have been forgiven much will love much. And those who are poor in spirit recognize we have much to be forgiven. Next, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, they, Jesus purposefully uses son here instead of child, because son had a, a unique inheritance connotation in that time and place. Right? The firstborn son was the one uh, who was often given the full inheritance. So he says, when you will become a son of God, it means you will be the rightful heir to the blessings of God. That actually God, you will inherit God as your own father and a father who loves you perfectly, a father who will never fail you. And I think our world needs more peacemakers more than anything. I'll go back here. I think I skipped pure in heart. We'll do that one quickly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, you may run past that phrase, see God, very easily. That's an astounding thing to say. You will see God? You know, in the Old Testament, what happens to those who see God? They're destroyed, right? God allows Moses to only see a part of him because if he says, if you see all of me, you'll die. My holiness will destroy you. What Jesus is saying, the pure in heart will see God and they won't be destroyed. They'll enjoy full access to God, full access to God's smiling fatherly face. I think that's what we're looking for, to know full access to God. Lastly here, I'll take the last two together. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake and for those who are reviled wrongly for following Jesus. And the promise to both of them is there will be reward in heaven. This is a challenging teaching. I, I have found this as I've worked with students from different uh, backgrounds, many of whom are very skeptical, very skeptical of, of religion in general, of spiritual things. Maybe they've had a bad experience of their own religious upbringing or because they're very intelligent and they see themselves above these things. But one thing that they really struggle with is promises of an afterlife. And Jesus, that is core to what Jesus is saying here because following Jesus will entail suffering, but the promise is, is that you will have a reward to come. But that's challenging. That is so challenging to think you would give things up in this life because you know this life isn't all there is. That is a high calling to give to people. That's what Jesus is telling us, that if you perceive the kingdom of God, you perceive there's more than just this life, that there's something bigger going on. There's a promise here for a kingdom and a reward yet to come. You know, all of these promises, they have a, a, a current dynamic and a dynamic to come. They're now and they're not yet. You will, you will flourish in the here and now, but you won't know the ultimate flourishing until the days yet to come when Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom. And, you know, I, I, 
I think this is challenging for us, but what I have found is for those living in suffering, deep, deep suffering, for those living under oppression, the idea that there is a kingdom yet to come is an incredible comfort. And actually they get that because their kingdom here is not good. We struggle often in our, in our affluent culture to grasp this because we have so many things tugging at our hearts saying, no, it's here and it's now. This is where the good life is. All right. So we can take a deep breath now. I took us through all of these very fast. Um, and I encourage you to go read these slowly and think about one each week. But we flew through them really fast. But I want to remind you of the ultimate point of all of these. Right? That flourishing, the good life, is ultimately all about putting your faith and trust in God's kingdom rather than the kingdom of this world. And that means that flourishing is found where we often don't expect because reality is different than we expect. You know, flourishing will always be connected to what is true, what is really true about the world. And the sad thing is that we've all been deceived about what is true, about what reality is, about the world we're actually living in. This is the challenge we all face. And I was proud of this, so I'm going to say it. I came up with a, a sentence with a lot of alliteration. Because <laughs> I think the result of this is that we live in a world of, of miserable millionaires, of the powerless proud, of the languishing laughers, and of the angry arrogant. And so that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying flourishing looks like. Right? And I know I've experienced that in my own life. All right, quickly now, we all want this kind of flourishing. We want to see God. We want to be satisfied. We want comfort. We want the kingdom of heaven, but we don't have it. Why? Because we don't possess these characteristics. And why is that? Because we're living for a false kingdom. And false kingdoms will only ever lead to death and chaos. And I want to show us for just a second how these kingdoms of this world often deform us to go the opposite direction of the things Jesus is exalting here. And I'll give you just a few examples. So one is that we often live for the kingdom of self. I'll tell you, working on a college campus and then reading through the Beatitudes is an interesting experience <laughs> because everywhere you go on a college campus, it's all about discovering yourself making yourself great, doing great things. And those are not always bad things, but they are exalted as the only things that life is about. Even service. Serve others for your own fulfillment. Serve others for your... If you do community service, you'll, you'll make your resume better. I hear that from students a lot. <laughs> right? Now, I'll tell you what you won't see is pursue meekness. <laughs> Seek to be poor in spirit. Seek to mourn and be sad. You won't see that on a college campus, but you also won't see that on a billboard. You won't see that on a TV show. You won't see that in a magazine. You won't see that in our world. What you will see is seek after your self-fulfillment because that's where the good life is found. 
But that also takes another form of seek after your own self-righteousness. Do all the right religious things, and then you'll find flourishing. Attend all the right services. Do all the right practices, and then you'll find the good life. But that's just as much about self-fulfillment. If God isn't at the center of that, we see this too in the ideas of, of the American dream. You know, my, the students I work with, they love the American dream. That's why they're here, to get opportunity, to pursue things that will give them the things that they want in life. And once again, that's not all bad. There's much to be grateful for and the opportunities and resources we enjoy. But as an end in itself, it will destroy you. You know, I th- there can often be a narrative in, in movies or other things. Just enjoy the simple things in life, your home, your family, and then you'll know the good life. Don't worry about making riches. Don't worry about fame and success. But the, the bad news is, is those things can just as easily become kingdoms you live for that fail you. They can just as easily become things that you look to as a substitute for God's kingdom. And I'll just give one last here. I think political power is another one. I see this all the time too. If if we can just have the right people in the right places, if I can just have enough influence, if we can just do the right things politically, then we'll know the good life. That's a great temptation. Once again, not all bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue those things, but if you seek them as ends in themselves, if you think that is how the kingdom will come, you will live in death and chaos because the kingdom of God is not of this world. It is now, but it is also not yet. All of these things, they, they lead to death and chaos because they, they fill us with pride and, and spiritual distraction and shallowness. They lead us to hunger for corruption Violence and vengeance, frivolity and consumption. That's what the kingdoms of this world want. And they do this because we're putting our hope in something that is a counterfeit. It makes promises it can never keep. But here's the good news, and here's what I'm going to end on. The good news is not that you can do this, (laughs) it's not that you can be meek. If you try hard enough, you can be poor in spirit. If you try hard enough, you can hunger and thirst for righteousness. Friends, the good news is that you can't. (laughs) These are high callings. And you can't, but the good news is not just that you can't, but that someone has. It's just like I said at the beginning. The point of this is not about a new way of life. It's about who's saying it. Who is this man who is telling us these things? He's the one who's announcing that God's kingdom has come in himself. That he has come to make all things right. That he actually is the one who's meek perfectly. He is the one who is perfectly poor in spirit. Perfectly humble. He is the one who is perfectly hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He is the true peacemaker. He is the one who has come to make all things new because he embodies these things perfectly. 
So if, if you desire to enter the kingdom, to live according to the true king, you must be transformed by the king. The takeaway shouldn't be, how, how can I study meekness and be more meek? It's how, how can I look more to Jesus who fulfills true meekness? And then as you reflect on that, thinking you are actually united to him by faith. That he lived this perfect life in your place for you. And that when you put your trust in him, his righteousness is credited to you. You are clothed in his righteousness. And you're united to him. So you can walk these things out, not by your own might, but by faith. By faith in him. It is the power of God alone that will allow you to exhibit these virtues. It's by God's grace alone that you can know the good life. I'm reminded here of Galatians 2.20. This is one of the the first passages I remember memorizing. But it says, um, hold on, I lost it. It's going to come back though. For you have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. In this life we live in the flesh, we now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. You see what Paul is doing there? You have died and risen again with Jesus. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in him. Not by figuring figuring out the right philosophy and way of life, by faith in him. Do you walk these things out? And friends, that is why you're here this morning. That's why Zion exists. That's why the church exists, is for you to support one another and remind one another that you are united to this perfect Jesus who embodies these traits perfectly and to spur one another on to walk by faith in this good news, to walk in these traits by faith in him, That's what it's all about. All the Bible studies, all the the youth group activities, that is what it's all about. That's why we're here, cultivating this kingdom life together. So before I pray, I just want to leave you with a few questions. Considering all of this, think to yourself, how could I run my business differently? Dorothy Day famously said, if you believe in God, your life shouldn't make sense if he doesn't exist. Think about if the kingdom of God is true, how could I run my business differently? Right? How would I how can I think of my possessions differently? My dreams for my children, how could I think of those differently? My aspirations and priorities for my family, my goals for my community, how would those be different in light of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to flourish in that kingdom? I invite you to consider those things. Because Jesus has come to invite you into that kingdom life by his grace and through faith in him. Let's pray, friends. Almighty God, I thank you this morning for giving us this teaching. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for impressing upon our hearts the truths of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, And if this is true, that your kingdom has broken into the present through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and that we can enter that kingdom by faith, 
Help us to see how our lives could look different as a witness to the world that the true king has come and we live for him. And in doing all of this, keep us from the temptation to do it by our own might and our own strength, but to live by faith, to walk by faith, not by sight, to cling to you by faith, walking in your kingdom. Help us, O Lord, to do this. Even as we leave this place and we go to our workplaces, we go to our schools tomorrow, give us an imagination for the kingdom of God. And by your grace, Lord, remind us that you gave your life for us, that we might walk in good works by faith. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.